0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at org. All right, well, we're picking up in uh, Romans chapter 11. The end of chapter 11, we come to the last, most challenging of the section of Romans, That uh, one of the more challenging sections of the Bible as well. So uh, I want to thank Jared last week and thank you guys for giving me the week off. And Jared did a great job of just really... Where we end up today, I don't know if he just looked ahead and was that smart, if the Lord just did it. But really the point was that we need the Lord to give us a humble and contrite heart. And that's really where we end up in our application as well today is that the Lord's going to use us. And what we're supposed to do is have a humble and contrite heart. But today we pick up where we left off in Easter or Resurrection Sunday on Romans 11. And if we remember what we were looking at in Romans 11, really 9 through 11, Paul has been wrestling with his unbelievable anguish and grief over his brother, Jewish brothers and sisters who have rejected Jesus. And he's brokenhearted over the fact that they have rejected Christ. They're, they're not going to enjoy the blessings of God because of that. And he has in anguish been praying for them. And, and it challenged us, do we have the same grief and anguish over unbelievers? I mean, do we really get upset? Do we, do we give a flip about the fact that people don't accept Christ? Uh, we should. We should be brokenhearted and be drawn to pray for them and share and, and invest in them to, to help them see the glory of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he's also been wrestling with this question, well, where is Israel what hope is there for Israel? Has God's word failed because we've seen how important Israel is in God's plan of of bringing restoration to this planet? They, they were the chosen people of God, not because of anything on their own, but because God in his plan just said, I'm going to use this small, uh, unimportant group of people to magnify my name. And And so God gave them the covenants, and he did all these great things. He came to Abraham, and he said, I'm going to use you and your seed to restore my blessings on earth. And so when they rejected Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, the question is, well, has God's word failed? And today the question is similar, but a little different. He's asking the question, is there any hope for Israel? Is there any hope for the future of Israel? Now, on Easter Sunday, we saw God said, absolutely, there's hope. There's always hope in the sovereign grace of God. And he pointed to his own life. Paul looked at himself and said, consider my own life. And we, we saw how Saul was a, a hardened Jew who was persecuting Jesus and the followers of Jesus when God saved him on the road to Damascus. So there was, if there's hope for Saul, there's hope for anybody. doesn't matter how far you've, Uh, gone in your rebellion and rejection of Jesus, that you are never too far gone. If you will turn to Christ today, you can be saved. And so he pointed to his own life to say that. But then he also illustrated the the hope that there is like Elijah. Perhaps you're like Elijah where Elijah is looking at his country and he is depressed, he's discouraged, he's in full-out despair to the point where he thinks he is literally the only Follower of God on the planet among his countrymen. And God says, now wait a minute. I've been working sovereignly to save and preserve 7,000 others in your country. And so we saw there is always hope in the sovereign grace of God. God has made a promise and he's going to keep that promise. And, and what is that promise that God has made? God's going to reestablish what he said was lost in the garden. He's going to establish this earth filled with his people, worshiping God, with God in their midst, living in complete glory to God as they live out their faith in God in a trusting, obedient relationship. That's what the end goal is. Christ is going to come back one day, and all of this earth is going to be filled with worshipers living to the glory of God. And, and Paul says that's why you always have Hope. That's why no matter what, when you look at the country and you look at the politics and you look at the, the blogs and the, the, the cable news and you see the constant barrage of, of, of stuff and negativity and you start to think, you know, first of all, turn it off for a little bit and then remember, read your word and you'll see God has a plan. God is still sovereignly carrying out His plan to pour His grace out on this earth to fill a a people, to fill this earth with worshipers. And so it's important that that we see that. And Paul has been saying, there is always hope in the sovereign grace of God. And so today, Paul is going to take one final look at one final story of God's grace as it relates to Israel. And we're going to look at Romans eleven, eleven through thirty-two, and this section begins with Paul asking the question: "I say then, did I say then they did not stumble so as to fall? Did they? May it never be." This is the question that Paul is addressing for us today. They refers to the covenant nation of Israel. He's speaking in terms of large, big picture people groups, Israel. Gentiles, he's overgeneralizing. It doesn't mean that every individual falls in this category, but when he speaks about Israel, he's speaking about the Jews. When he speaks about the Gentiles, he's speaking about everybody else. And so he's asking the question, when the Jews rejected Jesus, did they stumbled over the rock of Jesus? Did they fall to the eternal demise of the Jews? Is God done working with Israel? And he says, may it never be. You know, all throughout this section of Scripture, we've been kind of making the analogy to help us apply it in our lives that Israel, for us, is, is similar to very religious unbelievers. We've said there's, there's a correlation. It's Israel who had the Word of God given to them. They had the, the religious system of equivalent to church, a sacrificial system, the priest and, and all of that given to them, the temple and, and God's word and all of that was was given to them to be a blessing in their life. But ultimately when the, the point of it all, Jesus showed up, they rejected him. And so we've said how similar it is for us to to know people or perhaps you're here today, born in a Christian family, gone to a Christian church, Baptized in a Christian baptism, participate in a Christian Lord's Supper, had the Christian Bible your whole life, maybe even memorized the Christian scriptures and taught the Christian scriptures. But ultimately, all of that is to point you to faith in Christ. If you have rejected Christ, then there is no salvation for you. Because all of that is meant to point you to Christ. All of that is an outgrowth or flows from a relationship with Christ. And so Paul is saying, it's easy to apply in our lives, that as we look throughout this text, we're going to talk about Israel, Israel, Israel. I want you to be doing this application in your mind. Who in your life are you wondering, is there any hope for them to be saved? Maybe it's your own life. Maybe you're like Saul and you've rejected Christ. You know all about him. You know it. It's not a lack of understanding. It's just a lack of believing. And you've rejected him. Is there hope for you? Or maybe there's a loved one in your family. Maybe it's a sibling or or a parent or just a friend or or someone that you know well. And you say they've tasted the... Christianity, they've tasted community, they've tasted the church and the goodness of God through people, they've read the word, and yet they've turned away from Christ. Is there any hope for that person? Or maybe you're just brokenhearted over our community, what you see going on, or in our city, or in our country in this political season. I know a lot of you are, are fighting discouragement as you think about the future of America And you're asking, is there there any hope? Or, Or are they too far gone? That's what Paul is asking today. Have they stumbled so as to fall? Have they fallen off, stumbled to a rock off the cliff beyond recovery? Have they gone too far? Paul says about Israel, may it never be. So what I want to offer you today is that in this text, we see that there is always, as long as there is a breath, there is always hope in the sovereign grace of God. But we're also going to see what is our role in the hope that is out there in the grace of God. Let's ask God for help this morning. Father God, we ask for your help understanding these these passages, and I pray, Lord, that you will give us hope that is based solely in your sovereign grace, but that we'll also be challenged to understand our role as recipients of that grace. How do you expect us to live and participate in the hope there is for the unbelievers? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so Paul gives us three reasons there is still hope for Israel. And I hope that we'll see three reasons why there is still hope for the unbeliever that's in your mind that is similar to Israel. The first reason, he says, is God will use the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. This is in 11 through 15. Very interesting concept, isn't it? God's going to use The Gentiles to make Israel jealous, when I read that word jealous, before we even get started, I got an aside that always jumps to my mind. I remember Oprah Winfrey walked away from the Christian faith because she said, I cannot believe that God is a jealous God. That's just messed up. Well, what's messed up is that someone would walk away from the faith without seriously considering the point. What does it really mean to say God is a jealous God? What he's saying is that God is a jealous God in the sense that you should be a healthy jealousy for the loyalty of your spouse. That's what's right in a covenant commitment. You would not be thought well of or thought right for you to just allow and be happy, happy for you and your spouse to just flirt around with other people. There's a covenant commitment that is healthy and good for you. God is the greatest good for all of humanity. And so it is right and good for God to be jealous for you to be loyal to him. Because number one, it's right. And number two, it's good for you. All right. So what God is saying is this, this interesting concept that God, in saving the Gentiles, is going to use that salvation of the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. That's why you can know there is still future hope for Israel. Listen to what he says in verse uh, 12. Now, if their transgression... Is riches for the world. Think about the logic of his argument. If their transgression, their rejection of Jesus, is riches for the world, the Gentiles, and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. Notice who he's talking to. He's talking to you, he's talking to me, the Gentiles. About this history of what's gone on with the Jews rejecting Jesus. He says, Now I'm talking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch then as he says about himself, I am an apostle to the Gentiles. When Jesus sent Paul sent the apostles out, ultimately when he commissioned on the road to Damascus, Paul, what happened when you read the book of Acts? They went into town to the Jews first and then to the Greeks. To the Jews who would reject him, and then they would move on to the Gentiles. To the Jew and then the Gentiles. That's the story of the Bible. Over and over and over. And so he says, I myself became an apostle to the Gentiles. He says, What does he do? I magnify my ministry. I make much of my ministry. What is his ministry? It's a ministry of the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. Why does Paul do that? If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is reconciliation of the world, then imagine what their acceptance will be, the life from the dead. So as in these verses Paul gives us the first reason there is hope for Israel's salvation is that because God is going to use the salvation of the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. To make this point, Paul explains more of the amazing sovereign grace of God. Christopher Ash refers to it as the overflowing of the grace of God. And I've really picked up on that and I like that. Paul reveals that God's grace, remember he's speaking in big historical Movement of God. He's talking about the plan of the ages of God. It's it can be a little frustrating if you think more individuals. Think back up a step. He's talking big picture. He's looking at the people of Israel and he's saying, What happened? They were the covenant people of God throughout the history. As you read your Bible, Jesus came, it was all pointing to Jesus, and they rejected him. And now All these people are Gentiles that are coming into the faith. What happened and what Paul is explaining is is a big cosmic historical terms. He says God has been pouring his grace like a raging river the god in his sovereignty you know how we've been reading these texts that's what makes it so challenging he's been lifting up our mind and just kind of blowing our mind with these concept of this big omniscient omnipotent all knowing all powerful god of the universe and he is sovereign and he's pouring his grace out over the land and his goal in his covenant with abraham is to fill this earth with his grace with his glory among his people And how is he doing that? He's been doing it primarily through the recipients of his grace. Israel as a people. And then Jesus came and they rejected him. And so what is God doing? It's like the rivers flowing down the Red River because it's been flooding up north and the banks of the river cannot contain the grace that is flowing down the rivers. And so what happens, men, you who fish, ladies who fish, anyone who fishes goes out to the river, you know where the sweet spots of of fishing are, are those oxbow lakes because they're just sitting there, they're just honey holes. And so the water has overflown into the Oxbow Lakes. That's what the grace of God did when Israel pulled the lid over their heads and rejected Jesus. Grace didn't stop flowing. Grace kept pouring and it went over the, the, into the oxbow lakes of the Gentiles until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And so the, the oxbow lake of the Gentiles is getting filled to the realm. And so God didn't stop pouring out His grace. He kept pouring and they just forfeited enjoyment of the grace by rejecting Jesus and the grace just kept flowing. And so now those who are in the church are primarily Gentiles non-Jews, because that just is who is receiving Christ and trusting in Christ. And so Paul is explaining that it's been this massive flow of God's grace throughout history, and the fact that the Jews rejected, the grace overflowed, and so now the recipients of grace in this generation is primarily Gentiles. I would probably wager that no one in here if any very few in here are jewish by birth virtually everyone here is a gentile claiming their faith in the jewish messiah and paul's been explaining you have made you have participated in the grace of god promised through abraham and his seed by putting your faith in the Jewish Messiah. You have become a true Jew. And he's saying, now when, is there hope for Israel considering all that's gone on? He says, oh yeah. Because they're going to look at all these non-Jews enjoying the covenant blessings with their God through their Jewish Messiah and they're going to be jealous. They're going to say, "I want that." What used to be discarded and neglected and sitting on the shelf, all of a sudden, wait a minute. I want that. It reminds me of back when I was a kid. If anybody you, you got you guys you guys know the little rockets that you build, the little cardboard rockets, you put the engine in it and it's Push the button, it flies. Y'all awake? Y'all know what I'm saying? I'm talking to y'all. Yes? No? You've never seen the rockets? At CMM, I see them shooting them off in the playground. You got to because your parents, you want some. Put the phone down and go get a rocket. They're awesome. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay, so we didn't have a whole lot of money growing up, but I got this kit. It was a rocket kit. And and you it literally was a rocket. You had to buy those little engines and stick it in the cardboard tube put a parachute in it and you'd go off a distance, there'd be a line and you'd three, two, one, you push the button and it would shoot it way up there. So exciting. You would love it. Get you one. Well, we didn't have a lot of money so those engines cost a good bit and so I would fire it off and then the engines would, I'd run out of engines and so the rocket would sit on the shelf and then it'd start to kind of get old. Then it's just looking at it, it's not much to look at. And then I'd kind of get discarded and neglected and didn't care. And so then maybe the brother would come along and say, Hey, you mind if I grab this rocket? I'm going to take it. Oh, yeah, I don't care. then he goes and gets the engine, puts it in there, and goes, he starts shooting. I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. That's my rocket. Give it back to me. I want that. All of a sudden, I realized well, how good it was. I forgot how much I loved it. And Paul is saying, that's kind of what's going on with, with the, in people groups a generation stopped teaching their children faith in the Messiah. And so a generation of people were raised up without faith. And so then a new people, the Gentiles, beheld the glory of God in Jesus. And they celebrate the grace of God and they trust Jesus. And God says, there's not... All hope has not been lost for Israel because there's going to come a day where they see what they have been missing, and they want Jesus. Now, there's debate over how that plays out. Some think it's more uh, organic, like the church and their evangelism will, will see lots of Jews as well as Gentiles come to faith. Some think of it more linear, that, that for the most part... The Jews are going to reject Jesus until one day there's going to be a massive turning. That tends to be where I am. It doesn't really matter. I don't know if it's the rapture. I don't know what it is. But but either case, there's going to be a massive turning of Jews to come to faith in Christ. Is that not exciting? They're going to see, wow, he's God in flesh. And they're going to come to faith in Christ. And it's finally going to be what God intended. How is it going to happen? What is it going to be? What is that secret sauce that's going to turn them to Christ? You. The recipients of grace. Beholding, treasuring the grace that they have so that they become jealous. They say, I want what they have. Would people look at you and be jealous for what you have with God? Would your coworkers just be like, what is it? I don't know what it is, but I want that. In Fox's personal testimony, he said that about Luke. Remember that? He said, there was just a light and I messed with him a light. You mean like a flashlight? No. There was just a light about him. Do do people see something, the grace of God in your life that makes them jealous for it? That's how God is going to reach the rest of the believers that are now unbelievers. That's how he's going to reach his people. It's through Those who are enjoying His grace, they will make jealous those who are not in His grace. So that's why there is still hope for Israel. That's why there is still hope for that unbeliever in your life that you are praying for. That is why there is still hope for you today. As long as there is breath, you are always within hope of turning yourself to faith in Christ. And if their rejection is reconciliation of the world, imagine what their exceptions is going to be. We'll talk more about that at the end. So God will use the Gentiles to make Israel jealous is why you can still have hope. Secondly, God is able... To graft Israel back in. God is able to do this great work. In verses 16 through 24, Paul explains kind of this able, that what is God able to do? In verse 16, he says, If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. This is an analogy from Israel's worship, where they would offer. The, the piece of a lump of dough to the priest and worship to God, and if it was accepted as holy, then the assumption was that all of it was accepted as holy. And so the point is that anyone who participates in the covenant with Abraham, anyone who participates in the Messiah by faith, he is holy, they are therefore accepted as holy. So God is able to make anyone holy who participates in the lump, of Jesus Christ, if you will. And so he makes a similar point with a different analogy that he expands much more in verse 17, speaking about the, the big picture of people groups again. He says, If some of the branches were broken off, and you, Gentiles, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker With them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root who supports you. You'll say then, well, branches were broken off, so I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off. Why? For their unbelief. But you stand, or you stay connected by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity. But to you, God's kindness. If you continue in His kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. All this to me is helpful to understand. Think of generations of people, people groups. It's not losing salvation. It's talking about staying as a people in the faith. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more Will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? All right, so he's using this analogy that we'll work through to make sense of it. He's using the analogy of an olive tree to say this is what happened with Israel and Gentiles. And, he's, and, and, and what the idea is, an olive tree that is a natural olive tree that was once bearing fruit, that stopped bearing fruit graft in a different olive the branches off a different olive tree and that grafting in makes that original olive tree start to bear fruit again. And so he's saying that's that's the big picture of what God has done with people groups the the natural olive tree being Israel rooted in the covenant with Abraham. And When they rejected Jesus and stopped bearing fruit unto the glory of God, God broke off branches. I would consider that as an overstatement of the generation of Israelites that rejected Jesus and grafted in from a different olive tree to get the growth going again. Well, that grafting in is Gentiles. And he says, I grafted the Gentiles in, but don't be conceited. Don't look around and think, yeah, we got this all figured out. Why? He says, I broke them off. I can break you off. You don't teach your kids, the next generations, about faith in Christ as the only way to experience the grace of God. Your children will do exactly what their children did. They will reject Jesus, and they will be cut off from the people of God. For if, And then he says, and don't be arrogant, for if you were cut off from that, then how much more can God do with them? Because they are the covenant people of God. So historically, when Israel, as a people, rejected Jesus, the followers of Christ, primarily Gentiles, became the recipients of the grace of God and those who will disperse the grace of God, there's debates over whether when that when that process in history happened, did the church become the new Israel and completely replace Israel Israel, or is the church just participating in the blessings of the covenant with Israel? And those are that's fine to discuss. I tend to think of the latter, where, where the covenant is with Israel, and as Gentiles, we're participating in the blessings of that covenant, but ultimately, there's still something special in the covenant people of God that God's going to do. Either way, the point is clear, that those who have been recipients of the grace of God are the ones God is going to use to extend His grace to other unbelievers, and God has a great plan to bring about a massive coming of faith to christ it 's very important to notice, and then all this talk of god 's sovereignty, nine chapter nine, chapter ten, chapter eleven, all this talk of the sovereignty of God. Notice the breaking off and the grafting in of people is due 100% because of their faith in Christ or their lack of faith in Christ. Verse 20, Paul says, They were broken off for their unbelief. Don't hang that on God. You stand by your faith you are either grafted in by your faith or you are broken off by your faith do not be conceited but fear in verse 23 they also says, says and they also if they do not continue in their unbelief they will be grafted in god's sovereign grace flows through the channel of faith Those who trust in Jesus experience His saving grace. Those who reject Jesus do not. And on a generation level of big picture, generation after generation must teach and foster and disciple and cultivate faith in the Messiah. Or a generation will be lost. As long as there is breath there is hope for a person to come to faith. Like the thief on the cross who died next to Jesus, but with his last breath, put faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Like Saul, who seemed too far gone, was not beyond the reach of God's sovereign grace. As long as there is breath in that person, don't you dare give up. You keep on. Lovingly sharing and praying that they will come to know Christ. Remember, if if God could save a sinner like you, if God could save a sinner like me, God could still save them. So why is there still hope? Because God will use Gentiles to to, to make Israel jealous. God will use believers to make unbelievers jealous. Why is there still hope? Because God is able to graft Israel back into the root. Why is there still hope? Because God is able to graft anyone back into his grace if they will trust in Christ. Finally, why is there hope? Because God has promised to show mercy. This is God's plan from beginning. This is what the story is all about. Third reason, God has promised to show them mercy. In verses 25 through 7, Paul says, 27, Paul says there's still hope for Israel because God has promised to show them mercy. He says in verse 25, I don't want you, brothers, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. What mystery? Well, here's what's going on. A partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it was written. And he quotes Isaiah. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So what Paul is saying is, I don't want you to be uninformed about the mysteries that hasn't been clear in the scriptures up to this point. But here's what's going to happen. He lets us in, peeks under the veil of God's sovereign plan just to help us continue to have faith and hope for the future. He says, listen, what you see happen when Israel rejected Jesus, it's a partial heartening. God's going to keep pouring it out into the oxbow lake of the Gentiles until the fullness of Gentiles come in. And then God's going to use them to, to make the Jews, Israel jealous. And he's going to bring them in so that all that Israel will be saved. These are overstatements and big cosmic turns. But the point is, God's not finished. Well, how do you know? Well, the whole story of the Bible is that God is not done until the entire planet is filled with His glory and all who live on earth are worshipers of King Jesus. He's promised that's what He's going to do and He's going to do it. How is God keeping His covenant word to Abraham? His promise to bring salvation in the midst of judgment to restore God's blessings and God's glory to the ends of the earth, to establish his justice and mercy and peace and glory on earth through Abraham and his seed. How is he going to do that? Now when we talk about kingdoms... We kinda, I tend to think of some kind of archaic terms and it kind of just seems, I detach from it like there's going to be something really weird and different in the final state. There's going to be this kingdom because I don't talk about the United States as a kingdom. Let me put that in terms that we get. How is God going to establish on earth communities, cities, countries, people, Cultures that are perfectly just, no poverty, no abuse, societies that work perfectly, where people are caring for one another, loving one another, extending justice and love, and mercy, and compassion to one another. A society, a utopian society, that all the politicians are trying to get us to vote for them because they want us to think that they're going to create it. So call it a government, call it a society, call it what you want, call it a kingdom. But do you see, it's a culture a complete culture and what is culture made up of culture is made up of individuals the way you live the way you talk the way you act the way you treat others the way you do your job the way you perform your art the way you do your everything the way you treat everybody that's a culture god is saying i am going to create a culture of justice and mercy and perfection and peace And harmony and glory, how? Through the gospel, one person at a time. As you and I live out the gospel of grace in our lives, we infect others, we overtake it. Jerry and I years ago went to Indonesia on a mission trip. It was the most visible I'd ever seen it. In a Muslim culture, there was pockets of Christianity and you could see it. Visibly, hospitals popped up, schools popped up, orphanages popped up, where everyone else was abusing people, putting people down to exalt themselves. Christian cultures were doing things to sacrifice themselves to bless others. Think of a society, a whole world, all countries, all cities, all communities, living out the gospel. That's what he has promised to do through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So is there hope for Israel? Of course there's hope for Israel. Is there hope for anyone? Of course. This is, this is his mission. This is what he's all about. So where do we fit in this process? Romans twenty-eight, I mean eleven twenty-eight through thirty-two. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. The unbelievers may be opposing you as you present the gospel; they may come across as the enemies. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they're beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God has promised this is what he will do in Christ, and it is irrevocable. Now think about yourselves. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown you, they also may be shown mercy. Mercy to those who have shown mercy, so that others will have mercy, so that others will have mercy. I love verse 32, for God has shut up all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. It is all about God and his mercy and grace being poured out like a raging river on undeserving disobedient people. So what is our role? Our role is what we heard last week, a humble and contrite heart as we glory in God's grace. Paul says, I magnify my ministry. What is his ministry? It's the ministry of grace, ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, exalting the grace of God. I hope this week in community groups, as you meet and you talk about these verses, here's what I want you to do. Spend a very brief moment getting it out, whether the church replaces Israel. That's fine. Start the timer and then say, okay, enough of that. Now, I want you then to say, let's go through these verses and let's ask this question. What does Paul say when he says, now you Gentiles, here's what I'm telling you to do. And here's some things I've come up with. We magnify the gospel of grace in our lives We move and pray that God will move unbelievers to jealousy in us as we embrace the grace of God. And here's some things that that might look like. From the rest of these verses, we learn that this means that we should be the most humble people they know. Humility. Are you the most humble person that those people, unbelievers, know? If they look at you, they say, boy, they sure are Christian. They sure are religious. Or do they say, man, they sure are humble. We live with the full realization that we are constantly desperate for the grace of God in our lives. We were the disobedient people that God has poured his grace out on. We must be the most humble people in our community must be the most humble people in our workplaces the most humble people at our jobs your parent your kids should see in their parents humility we should overflow with gratitude for the grace that God has poured out in our lives humble gratitude humble faith we should be a holy people we should be those who By the grace of God has changed us that we live for his glory. He gave us everything. So we lay down everything to live holy lives. Are you holy? Are you separate? Are you different? Is your life different? Are your choices different? Is the way you spend your money different? Do you glorify God? Is your life holy in the presence of unbelievers? humble, and holy. Finally, are you hopeful? We should be the most hopeful people on the planet. When everything is, appears to be just going down the toilet. We don't want to sit there and ring her, hey, what's going on to our country? What's going wrong? You say, turn to Christ. The answer is Jesus. Vote for Jesus. Embrace Jesus. He's told us how the story ends. There will be a utopian society on this earth. And it will be when Jesus is president. And reigning and ruling over his government. And only people who will be here to enjoy it are those who are grafted in to Jesus by faith. I pray we talk about this week, how can we be humble, holy, hopeful people so that others will be moved to jealousy to say, I want, I want to be in that family. Let's pray together. Lord, would you make us that people? Lord, would you lift our eyes up off the off the blogs, off the cable news, off the Twitter feeds and tells us all of our hope is found in this one candidate and everyone else has taken us down the tubes. May we be not judgmental, but humble. May we live holy lives, displaying your glory as we seek out to live obedience. And may we always have hope May we see the best potential in everyone if they would embrace Christ. Lord, I thank you that, that this world, we already know how you're going to finish it. When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and when all Israel's been saved, this, the rivers of grace will overflow the river, the oxbow, the levees, and will fill the ends of the earth with grace and glory so that we'll have a society all around the globe where all are living and working and producing in a society that is just and peace and glorious under your perfect rule. And Lord, you're going to bring that about through regular old people like us Basking in the grace that you've given us and explaining that it comes from Jesus. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.